Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale October 21st, 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marks. Tucker, how are you? I'm hanging in there doing all right. How about you? Uh, the day that we're recording this is the one year since we brought Catherine home, since the one day wow. that uh, we met her for, you know, the adoption kind of went through. Um, still not finalized because the court's... Ain't working fully yet, but right. uh, it's all good. She's wonderful and happy and unbelievable. And it's yeah. It's kind Congratulations of and and that's just amazing all around. It's a meaningful day for all of us, yeah. and so we're very happy. Um, this is going to be a fun episode as we got a ton of new books to get into, which we're going to do really quickly. We also have a wonderful conversation with Joshua Kassara, who is one of Marvel's Stormbreakers, one of the you know, elite next generation of artists. He's also been working on X-Force for a while now, and he's a triple D, ding-dang delight. But first things first, we got to get into these books. Tucker, what's up first? All right, let's kick it off with Arrow number 12. It's written by Joe Lai Fen with art by Kang. The adaptation written by Amy Chu and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Look, it's one of my favorite things to see a new character like Arrow not only enter the Marvel Universe, but then become what feels like fully integrated when it's not just like a new character like Arrow is coming to blows with a character that we know so well like Iron Man, but also connecting on a character level. There's something about that that makes it all the more real, all the more grounded in this universe that we know is those individual moments that someone has where you get even deeper insight. It almost feels like context in a way when you get to see, okay, this is who this character is in direct relation to someone that we all know so well. And um, look, this is a wild book. It's got its own action, its own things going on. Really interesting also villain work going on in here that I really enjoyed. It's something that feels very specific to this book and it's something that... um, uh, on that and that thread specifically, I'm looking forward to continuing to pull on. Holy moly, Tucker. I've got to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 50.LR. This is written by Nick Spencer and Matthew Rosenberg, art by Federico Vincentini, with colors by Marcio Menes and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. The point LR issues are going to be cool because they're going to focus on a variety of different characters in the Last Remain storyline that... Is not going to have a lot of Peter Parker Spider-Man, but it's going to have a lot of the supporting cast and different other characters. There's a lot of Norman Osborn action in here. There's Miles and um, Jessica Drew and, and those characters and how they are being messed up by Kindred. A lot of interesting things really developing for the storyline. Um, an important character returning to New York at a very pivotal moment for Spider-Man. So we'll see how that goes on. Oh, yeah. All right. The next issue we have this week is Conan the Barbarian, number 15. It's written by Jim Zub with art by Rohe Antonio, colors by Israel Silva, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. In this one, one, we get romance. We get some smooch in action, which, of course, Conan just needs to take some time away for. But then we quickly speed into an awesome gladiator story, which is really, really fun. This goes in a direction which I think is really, really interesting. The last few pages um, is really, really fun. And I think it just puts this story on, you know, an even faster clip that is like you feel like you're right shoulder to shoulder with Conan, just going from one thing to the next, sprinting, trying to survive. Um, Jim and the entire team just execute that so well. There's a death in this issue that Mm -hmm. I was like completely turned around by yeah was like, that was good good stuff uh all right let's move on to daredevil number 23 written by chip sadarsky pencils by marco coquetto colors by marcio menes and letters by vcs clayton cowles the first page in here is really cool because marco and marcio do some really cool work to mimic the styles of previous artists for what these stories were doing. So it's really cool. You get a little bit of a, a, a flair of Chris Samney and some other artists in here, which is really neat. And then we get back into the Marco Coquetto-ness of it all, which is awesome. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, Matt can't catch any sort of break. Like there's something, even with the best intention, something punching him in his heart every now and again it's wild uh Electra's in here one of the things that i absolutely love that marco does on this book is the way he draws Electra's hair she mm. is this awesome greek lady and her hair probably would be wild and big flowing and, and cool and curly and the way he draws her hair it is just this 
giant mane around her. And it's so cool. I love that look that she has in this book. Another really great moment in this issue is the conversation that happens between Daredevil and Spider-Man and rebuilding that relationship. I think they have one of my favorite friendships in the Marvel universe. We've seen Mm. a bunch of Spider-Man Daredevil team up books and comics and stories uh, and seeing how things happen in this issue and specifically like the conversations. It's really good. And of course it's chip. He's written, you know, Daredevil now for two years. He's been, he wrote a ton of Spider-Man, so he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Now we are jumping over to Falcon and Winter Soldier number four. This issue is written by Derek Landy with art by Federico Vicentini, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is turning out to be a really clever book. I really enjoy, one, the character dynamics, of course, between Falcon and Winter Soldier, but also with the kind of shifting allegiances and scheming that's going on with the natural. And then we also have something really cool going on with Veronica Eden and her uh, journey inside Hydra itself. That is unfolding, you know, in a very fresh way in this issue, especially. There's a sequence that happens out the back of like a, an airplane. That sequence um, kind of falling out the back of this plane and this action sequence that happens as a result is so fun and I think in a lot of ways captures the spirit of this book because it is so fly by the seat of your pants. Uh, Characters making decisions in real time as things are happening um, and then having to shift the decision making as they go because of these various elements like Veronica, like the natural. It's really, really interesting. I'm excited to see how those characters continue to mature and continue to challenge Sam and Bucky in new ways. This storyline has been great. Uh, Also great is Fantastic Four number 25, written by Dan Slott. And there are three stories in here. Um, There's uh, one story with art by R.B. Silva and Jesus Arbatov. Another one with art by Paco Medina and Marcio Meniz. And then another one with art by Will Robson and Marcio Meniz. All letters in the book by Joe Caramagna from VC. Um, This is cool. This is a big issue for the Fantastic Four for various characters. This book is great. I don't want to give anything away, but it really does push uh, a bunch of things about the Fantastic Four uh, in different directions. It gives them some new status quo stuff, some interesting developments for what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it. I'm trying to be very vague here. I don't want to spoil anything in here, but it's really cool. You get the Fantastic Four teaming up with Doctor Doom, teaming up with the Fantastics, the the budget FF who are living in uh, the Baxter building. It's it's wild. It's really good. The One of the backup stories is uh, all about the Unseen and Uatu the Watcher. Bookmark that one. That's all I'm mm. going to say. And then the last one, the Will Robson drawn story, is cool because it's uh, bringing back the like Fantastic Forum, the, the sort of communique between fans and the actual Fantastic Four, which is really sweet, really cute. Uh, I loved it. Oh, yeah. All right. Next up, we have Guardians of the Galaxy number seven. It is written by Al Ewing with art by Marcia Takara, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. In this one, we get to see a little bit of like space diplomacy, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a character called Nimbus Sternhoof, the Chimelian ambassador in this issue. I'll just say awesome there's so much cool stuff like that that i i just think perfectly balances this thing of being a world that we are in and we completely accept every dynamic every character it's all played so real and it also has this flair of like 70s weirdness um which i just love it it strikes that balance in such a great way while all the time pushing the narrative forward for this team and for this book it's really really great then there is this little six panel mini story at the end of this issue i literally don't even want to talk about anything that happens in it but it's written by al the art is by stefano landini colors by federico Blee, and letters by viscore pettit it is very interesting i am i don't know what that could mean but I really need to find out. So fun. I imagine we'll be talking about that in a future episode uh, with someone involved in that project. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move on to Iron Man number two, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Cafu, colors by Frank Darmana, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Right out the gate, the first bit of this story unleashes a whole flood of 
whoa, this is what this is all about. And it ties into Marvel Comics 1000 and Marvel Comics 1001 in ways that I don't know that anyone expected. Go check them out. They're on Marvel Unlimited. You're going to get some really cool connections to those stories and then into here. After we get past that and the big like revealing moments of that, we get to see Crusher Creel fighting Iron Man in a wrestling ring, uh, which is delightful for me and all kinds of stuff. We're, we're seeing that like there's forces building up that Iron Man is privy to that not everyone else is. And he's trying to figure it out while also trying to figure himself out. So he's in a weird place. If you are a Patsy Walker Hellcat fan, this is a great book to check out because she's a major component of it right now. If you're a cardiac fan, I think he's one of the cooler villains. He's got a great costume design. Again, I think that's uh, probably Mark Bagley costume mm-hmm. design. Um, he's cool. He's a healthcare themed supervillain, but you know, <laughs> in my mind, not really a supervillain. But I digress. He's cool. He's in here. Uh, we get Iron Man fighting him. We get Unicorn coming back in. This book is really cool, and it's it's just starting to ramp up. Oh, yeah. All right. Next up, we have Juggernaut number two. It's written by Fabian Nicieza with art by Ron Garney, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Right off the bat, page one splash of Juggernaut throwing down with the Hulk. And it's brought to you, of course, by Ron Garney, and therefore it is so excellent, such a sight to behold. This is a really cool issue. It almost feels like a standalone tale in terms of how it's structured because we start out with this fight between the Hulk and Kane Marco, and then we're kind of bouncing back and forth in time to see where we were before this and how we got here. Uh, As we talked about, I think, when we read the debut issue of this series, it feels in a way like Fabian is writing his immortal Hulk version of Juggernaut. And by that I mean taking a character that is this force of nature and really analyzing the dark center of the character and seeing what being such a powerful figure does to someone's psyche and does to someone on the inside. It's really cool stuff, and um, I can't mention it enough. Look, it's Ron Garney um, bringing you some really, really visceral, incredible fight scenes, and uh, that's worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, and there's some good emotional stuff in there. Just yeah. like getting into Juggernaut and what he's about and who he is yeah. now. It's cool. Uh, on to Maestro number three, written by Peter David, art by Hedron Peralta, colors by Jesus Arpatov. There's a backup story called Relics that is drawn by Dale Kion with colors by Jason Keith and letters throughout by VCs Ariana Mar. And this Maestro book is all about how Hulk becomes the despotic ruler of the future aka the maestro that we saw in Incredible Hulk Future Imperfect nearly three decades ago. And it's an interesting build of like Hulk putting the pieces together of like, who am I in this world? What does this world need? And and sort of like that march to becoming a truly like nasty character. But was he ever truly good? There's a lot of interesting things at play here. Is, of course, it's Peter David getting into the mind of the Hulk. It's great. Um, wonderful shots of Rick Jones and, and all the... I can't call it trophy room, but like sort of the the museum of of dead superheroes and supervillains. I love all this stuff. It's it's got great fights and really great um, banter. Uh, then you have the backup story, which Jesus Peter, what is wrong with you, man? Uh, it's so good, but it follows Rick Jones and and Marla uh, characters from his run, taking them, putting them into this future world, and and showing how they got to a certain point. And I just read it, I was like, oh, man, it's really tough right now, Peter. Maybe <laughs> not so bleak, but it is what it is. It's great comics, though. <laughs> uh, all right, next up, we have Marvel's X, number six. This is the conclusion of this limited series, the Earth X prequel. The story is by Alex Ross and Jim Kruger, the script by Jim Kruger, art by Wellby, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This issue in particular is just an incredible showcase for um, this artist's talent. Wellby is really impressive. Um, this is a really, really impactful issue. Uh, I've totally enjoyed Marvel's X, and you know I think we're balanced nicely here, Ryan, because you're very familiar with the various Alex Ross books that fall into this 
uh, narrative, this is my first experience with it. And I've loved this series because of the, the world that we're living in. We get to experiment with things that mean something different in this story, unlike any other story. And it's really, really fun to see that and, you know, unexpectedly emotional at the same time. It really, really hits home in a bunch of different ways. It's great stuff. It feels like there's some very profound work going on here in terms of what superhero comics are, what they mean, what the nature of superhero stories are, and, uh, you know, people's relation to them. It's really, really great stuff and uh, a wonderful story well told. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Spider-Woman number five, written by Carla Pacheco. And there's two stories in here. Art in the main story by Perry Perez. Colors by Frank Darmada. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Um, and this one is, it wraps up this big first storyline for uh, for Jessica Drew with her family, seeing her brother and her mother and um, her niece. It's brutal. Perry Perez, man, doing some wild wonderful work this book has to be held just to see everything that's going on in it. it love it i think perry's like really really showing off on this book as well as carla who is just having the best time i this is a book where i definitely suggest read the letters pages because carla like has so much fun answering the letters teasing the readers teasing us teasing everybody it's it's great time then the second story in it is called legacy is also written by carla but art by matia diulis who was phenomenal on the jessica jones storylines um you know that we did you know a year or two ago this one is really cool because it mixes homages to spider-woman's legacy to spider-woman's history through comic book covers like fake comic book covers mixed in with interstitials of where Jessica Drew is right now and where she's going and and things that are happening in her life. But this is all because it's the 100th issue of Spider-Woman solo comics. And um, yeah, it is phenomenal. Mattia is something special. Like there's beautiful, beautiful art throughout this book. If you are a fan of just looking at really cool pictures, this is a jam. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, All right, now for a quick trip over to the world of Star Wars with Star Wars Bounty Hunters number six. This is written by Ethan Sachs with art by Paolo Villanelli, colors by Arif Brianto, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Um, One, we have this hard-nosed, hard-boiled character in balance at times, and then other times when you get that softness, that sweetness of this character, oh man, it hits home even more, uh, and you get uh, some really cool emotional beats in this issue in particular. But then we also have four LOM and Zuckus, a pair of bounty hunters who have been sent after Valance in this issue. Such cool Star Wars weirdness, character alien designs in this. Um, these dudes rule. I just love it. It is such like perfect bounty hunter clash going on in here. I love it. It's great. Uh, and the emotional beats that get pulled in uh, at the same time uh, with Valance was, uh, you know, somehow unexpected and uh, tonally so perfect. Uh, really, really great stuff. Yes. Uh, all right. Let's move on to Venom number 29, written by Donny Cates, art by Luke Ross, colors by Jesus Arbertov, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is part four of Venom Beyond. A uh, big thing in here is um, a, a conversation between Eddie and the character that sort of caused them to get through to this world, uh, the character that was in the virus outfit, and that revelation, that conversation, it's really sweet. You know, you could zig at this point, but Donnie and and the, the creative team kind of zag. And I really like the zag that they have in this book and the moments that are going on here. I think it's emotional and it's um, character building. It's really, really well done. Oh, yeah. Uh, All right, next up we have a new number one with Werewolf by Night, number one. It's written by Taboo and B. Earl with art by Scott Eaton, inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Miroslav Merva, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is not just a new number one, it's a new Werewolf by Night. I love how this creative team uses your expectations of what a werewolf story is. They use that to their advantage. They use that as ammunition for you reading because you might be thinking something and they might do something else. It's really, really cool how they both play with and off of those kind of expectations. It's really, really nice. But then there's also this, uh, what feels like a great combination of like 
for me, it's almost like what if there were werewolves in Mad Max in a way? It's like what if Mad Max had cryptozoological animals and like hybrids and stuff in it? It's really, really cool. It feels very new and very fresh. And because of all that, because of all the possibilities, um, you know, it just seems endless. So it's a super exciting opening for this story. And I have no idea where it's going to go. So I can't wait to find out. I really dug this first issue. I had a great conversation with Taboo and uh, BRL uh, that we posted on Marvel social channels and YouTube. It was great. You should, y'all should check it out and read this book. It's it's really, really good. Uh, I'm excited for what, they, what they've got in store. All right. It is time for the Ten of Swords section of the show. We've got two books this week, parts nine and ten of Ten of Swords. First up is Excalibur number 13, written by Teeny Howard, art by Stormbreaker, R.B. Silva, colors by Nolan Woodard, and letters by VCs Ariana Marr. Um, this one is a big one for the Braddock family. It is cool. It's weird stuff. You get uh, swords giving us uh, sword building aspects for the big story, but it also is some great family stuff in the midst of what is becoming a big war for mutantum. Also, Arby Silva, freaking superstar. Two books by him today, this week, uh, Fantastic Four and Excalibur, and they yeah. crush so good. You, exactly. You see why he is one of our Stormbreakers. Yeah, totally incredible. Um, all right, the last book for this week like you mentioned, is chapter 10 of Ten of Swords. It is X-Men number 13, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Sonny Go, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This, Apocalypse fans, is for you. We continue to examine Apocalypse's backstory, how he's tied into everything going on with uh, the world of Krakoa and Arako, um, what that all means to him. It's I mean, I cannot get enough of it. Right from the very beginning of Dawn of X, you and I were sitting around reading these books and just going, there is something special happening with Apocalypse. You can just tell. Those seeds are starting to bear fruit in bigger and bigger ways. You know, I think there's going to be a ton of fallout of Ten of Swords. There's going to be so much to chew on in the aftermath. And if House of X, Powers of Ten... Now the Dawn of X have proven anything, it's that it all counts, it all matters, nothing is left behind. That's obviously going to continue into the future, but even still, it feels like one of the my big takeaways from this story is going to be all the work that the entire creative team from Jonathan all the way down the line have done with Apocalypse. And that is a huge compliment because this is an incredible character with so much history and they're using that all to their advantage. It is so well done. Yeah, go out and read it. It is such, such good comics. Hell yeah. All right, Tucker, tell me about some of the print collections out this week. All right, for print materials for your reading pleasure, we have Disney Kingdom's Haunted Mansion, uh, Hellstrom, Prince of Lies, Marvel Comics Presents Wolverine Volume 1, Sentinel Volume 3, Past Imperfect, Skrull Kill Crew, Ultimate X-Men Fantastic Four, and X-Men Firestar. Yes, and Marvel Unlimited, we've got a whole bunch of cool stuff in here. X-Men God Loves Man Kills Extended Cut number one, uh, X-Force number 10, the first issue of Empire, uh, the first full, you know, main issue of Empire is in there, Giant Size X-Men Magneto number one, the second issue of Spider-Woman, and tons more. Also, one of the cool things about Marvel Unlimited, which we just announced this week, is that Brand new comics to Marvel Unlimited are not coming at six months. They are coming three months after release in print. So uh, you can catch up on a lot more books very quickly. It's pretty great for everybody out there who wants to read every single Marvel comic that comes out every week. Now there's only three months from when they are originally released to when they hit Marvel Unlimited. Everybody celebrate over 28,000 comics. It's pretty fantastic. So exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, now let's get into our conversation with Stormbreaker Joshua Kassara, who is a ding dang delight, triple D himself. Josh, let's talk to you now. Joshua Kassara, welcome to Marvel's Pull List. How you doing? Uh, thank you, Zer. Uh, I'm doing fantastic. We're going to get into, of course, Old Man Logan in a bit. But uh, your first Marvel gig, Josh, was that New Avengers? Yeah, New Avengers number seven. And um, how'd you come to start working for Marvel and doing art for us? I was doing a creator-owned book over at Titan with Noel Clark. He's like an actor-director who did, um, he was on Doctor Who and stuff like that. So I don't know exactly how, but like Tom Brevoort, I think had 
seeing his stuff on Twitter and contacted him or whatever on this book that I was doing with him. I think we just published issue one at that point. And so he emailed me just kind of like, hey, you know, just want to see what your schedule's like and try to get in the mix over here. So they just threw an issue at me, like without even, you know, just throw this, throw me into it. And so yeah, that was it. It was awesome. I got to figure out it was a, a white tiger and like this giant combo hybrid tiger god that Al Ewing, you know, his wackiness. Uh, and so it was a great, <laughs> great start. It makes perfect sense there. It's That's such a funny incidental fact that the bridge here is Tom Brevoort's love of Doctor Who, which is famous, <laughs> um, uh, at least around the office. Um, and so I love that fact. Josh, the, the first time that um, I remember reading your book on, on at least a, a kind of monthly basis was uh, the Falcon series. Could you talk a little bit about that project and, and, and how you enjoyed that? Because it felt like such a multifaceted book. There's so many different elements at play. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a different take than I think a lot of people expected. And Tom came to me with this, and he's like, "We're gonna do a Falcon book." And this is Rodney Barnes, and and Rodney Barnes, you know, we got connected, and we were in sync right away. And and then I got to draw the new costume that Alex Ross designed. And actually, I've I've, I've been drawing him. I don't know, you guys can see it, but just drew this just recently for. Oh Falcon. hell yeah! Yeah, like I, I just I love it. I love just just the the black and red design, and, and it was such a fun adventure. And my, you know. I was so lucky and so fortunate I got to get thrown into something like that and debut a new book. So it was incredible. Uh, Josh, you just pulled out a, uh, a piece of <laughs> art. Do you draw traditionally or are you drawing digital or is it both? No, 100%. The only digital stuff is minor edits, corrections. I don't have to worry. I don't know. It's just something about it and having a piece of paper and um, and the ink and getting ink all over my, my stained fingers and stuff. There's just something. And the smell of it. Uh, I don't know. I'm an old... I'm an old soul i guess so. dude i know it gets me so excited when i we talk to artists who are still drawing traditionally it's like as much as i love digital man like when i see an original page of art like new stuff it makes me so excited it makes me so happy uh if, if a fan wants to buy any of your original art there's a, a quick cheap plug where can they find it you know yeah. um they can contact me directly on twitter i'm literally uh probably at the end of this week in the next two days i'm going to be posting i have a, i'll have a big cartel up for uh, people. It'll be under jawsart.bigcartel.com. Thank you, Ryan. Nice. I'm such a huge fan of your work that like, I know we're here technically also to talk about Old Man Logan. We'll get there. But to talk a little bit about the process side of things, Josh, when you're reading a script, when you're starting to sketch out pages, what do you find to be your influences? Are you influenced foremost by the story itself, by the characters? Are you influenced by maybe prior conversations that you've had with the writer and the editor, how do you adjust and kind of modulate on a issue by issue or series by series or character by character basis? Or is it all just like completely instinctual and just down to the nitty gritty of the conversations you're having with the writer and what's on the page? It's, it's an amalgam of all those. I mean, really it's my favorite part of the entire process. And I say this every interview is the first read of a script. I want to sit down, finish final draft. I don't really like to get hinted too much. I want the final draft and I want the first read of a script. That's where I think most of the, the, the best nuggets and moments, like Ryan was saying, the still moments are those when those pop up. And so I, there's so many things you do take into account. Yeah, you have your influences from, from other artists or from movies, um, but it really is just, you know, every script hits new and what you're going for too. And just, just kind of how I, how I feel I and mean, how I want to tell the story that day. What's one of the most fun elements for Ryan and I to talk about is those moments where we can say like, oh, we've always been a fan of this artist's work, but with this issue or with this series, we see them go to an entire other level. And that's something that we, I think, if you went back on the tapes and went back to X-Force number one, uh, that's absolutely what we talked about Um and how yeah, Tucker's not just blowing smoke were. because that it, <laughs> yeah. is, it is in the like the archives uh, where <laughs> I remember it was like, oh, my dude just leveled up here. This yeah, is this yeah. is like you watch someone who's like, you know, just watching you grow every issue and then just like beast mode in X-Force. It's been so much fun <laughs> and, and really yeah. exciting for us. Th th I mean, thank you. I, I, I mean, it's that's that's really awesome to hear that's that's really what you hope you see the progression i jumped into century and i think for me that's when i felt like i really started kicking it up i was kind of helping fill out in century and then they started giving me like these really cool pages and then they had me do venom and i got some right. of all the, the 
the symbiotic tendrils, which now led into now X-Force and a lot of like Black Tom stuff. And so, um, yeah, it felt like that, you know, and I felt the pressure uh, and the excitement of Dawn of X and under, um, you know, the Hickman era, really taking the deep dive on this and working with Ben Percy was just, you know, it's, it's like we were uh, matched on blind date, successful match. On blind date, so. <laughs> I, I would love to hear more about your work with Ben Percy, who is another person I'm an enormous fan of. Um, I think maybe, probably the first time I ever was exposed to his writing at all was with the Wolverine podcast work that he did. And then he adapted that into comic book, which was really good. And then we slowly started to see Ben work more and more and more. And then boom, X-Force hits. And it's kind of a revelation for me. Just one of the most badass, incredible books that is going right now. Can you talk about working with Ben and, and, and what that's been like? Yeah. You know, we're, we're almost kindred spirits. We, we, we love our eighties action movies where that, and he's just hits the right points of humor in the right spots. And he goes, you know, he, it's incredible to watch. I, I, it's what, what writers do. I think is just magic how, how they do. It. I know they, they put it in a ton of work, just like the artists put in a ton of work. And, but I just see the end product most of the time, you know, I'll see some outlines, but I'll see the end product. And, and we just share the same sensibilities um, to where it just hit off right away. And he, and he's so, he's so great and, and he's really malleable and he's really, he lets me, you know, he's, he's not married to every single thing that he writes down. He lets me play with it as, as well. He's way open to all my ideas. In fact, I, I don't think he ever turns any of my ideas down, uh, but it's been great. We, 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 we text pretty much every day. We were going to have a phone call tonight cause I just got dumped a giant script, um, thing tonight. And so we're going to have a, a chat to go over. Uh, a lot because it's uh, pretty wild. We'll, we maybe we'll go over that later. It's uh, uh, ten of swords stuff. So, oh, nice. nice stuff, Joshua. On top of everything that we've been talking about, you are also officially one of Marvel's Stormbreakers. Tell us what what does that mean to you, and what was that uh, like? Did you get a phone call? Was it a, a video chat, an email? Did was a carrier pigeon sent to your your house? Yeah. What was that like? It was a little carrier pigeon tapped on my window. It was like Stormbreaker. <laughs> like oh my gosh, no. Um, I I think it was through through some emails with Ricky and folk. Um, just kind of like hey, you know, you know the Young Guns program and. Uh, and kind of led into, you know, we were thinking that you would be a great fit for where, you know, we want to go with the next evolution of it. And so it's kind of, I, I was very aware of the Young Ones program and just how, I mean, all, all of those artists I've looked up to for, for so long anyway. And to be with this class of Iban and, and, and Carmen and Patrick, RB, um, Natasha, Peach. Yeah, my, my wife and daughter are obsessed with Peach. Peaches art, um, and and it was so great. Even um, and everybody's been so kind. I have I share this recording with you. Um, I, Benjamin Percy, my writer on X Force, sent this to me. Stormbreaker, <laughs> Stormbreaker, Stormbreaker, Stormbreaker. Oh my God! <laughs> we love we love us and Ben Percy on this show. Josh, what you don't know is literally about 15 minutes ago, I just got done doing a different Ben Percy impression with Ryan. We're huge fans of that on the show. What a gift. Uh, <laughs> we should just start a podcast. I mean, instead of the pull list, I mean, the pull list with the Percy's and we all do bad impressions <laughs> of Benjamin Percy. The Percy cast. The yeah. Percy I mean, cast. I mean, right. there we go. I'm Tucker. I'm Josh. <laughs> And hey, look. Speaking speaking of um, uh, Stormbreakers, it was just uh, just recently released the the first wave of variant covers that all the Stormbreakers did. Your one for Avengers number forty. I will scream it from the rooftops. That thing is gorgeous. Uh, just unbelievable to see your work continuing to level up. I don't know how you do it, but it, it's a real testament to to why you're on uh, on such a list of really really incredible artists. Thank, thank you. I mean, I just saw it come out and I see, I've already seen everybody else's, but to see him again, I, Matt Wilson coloring over me, by the way, it looks incredible. He did my Shang-Chi as well on the promo art, um, which was really fun to see everybody's promo art and the, and to see that I was really honored. Black Panther was, they gave us kind of a, a broad list of characters we could do that they wanted, to, you know, as cover. I had Black Panther as my, as my top choice. I'm really happy I got to do it. Uh, I, I mean, uh, there was, you know, some Spider-Man or Venom, cool, but Black Panther, I have a soft spot for Black Panther too. Uh, so happy. 
so so happy and this is just the tip of the iceberg we're going to see and hear lots more about um your work with uh, as a stormbreaker and, and sort of the promotion around you and the full class and it's it's exciting it's really cool and it's well deserved so we're excited for you josh thank you so much man i appreciate it so we are talking about old man logan this is our reading club um and old man logan is your pick so why did you pick this uh wonderful cheery story <laughs> You know, it's one of those, it's a book that's always at the top of my reference pile. Like, or I call it like my inspiration pile. I've got a stack of books next to me, probably like 30 books that has some of my favorite artists and maybe some of my favorite things. And it's usually stays pretty high to the top, especially when I did Venom. It was a book that I read that I literally wasn't drawing comics at the time. Like I would sketch little comic stuff and I, I read comics. I, I still, I read comics all the time. And, um, but I wasn't drawing them, but it was one of those visually, you know, every couple of pages, it was just whoa 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 it's just i think it's mcniven at the top of his game and and then the story it's it's a really simple straightforward story but like you know kind of an alternate world in a sense but it's far in the future and i like just the grizzly curmudgeon logan and you know but i love that just at the very beginning it says you know he hasn't popped his claws in 50 years and that's just such a great like why reading that book what not you know just over a decade ago there's no way i imagined i would ever even be drawing wolverine and so it's, it was an easy pick for me because I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an artist and uh, I'm very simple minded and I need a straightforward story. I need a lot of subtext. Uh, I, I want to just dive right in. <laughs> um, I think it's a good point um, to make sure we, we hit all the credits in here. The first part is Wolverine number 66. This is the volume that ran from 2003 to 2009. Uh, yes, the Old Man Logan storyline, it fits into the main run of the book, which is so cool. This is uh, Tucker. I was thinking about this today. This is the third or the fourth Miller book that we've done in that yeah. reading clubs. He just keeps coming up. And I think it goes <laughs> to something, a mix of different things, something that Brevoort has talked about, something that uh, Josh, you were talking about is the simplicity of the story, but also the smart, concise, impactful storytelling that they, they go for when you, when you get Mark doing what he does best uh, on his books and when he's got the right artist. And of course, pencils here by Steve McNiven inks by Dexter vines uh, through most of it colors by Maura Hollowell. I know Nathan Fairbairn uh, does some Paul Mounts does some throughout great work. Uh, and, and our buddy VCs, Corey Pettit on the letters, which letters throughout on this are gorgeous too. Uh, and it's the, the whole village coming together. Uh, this first issue came out June 18th, 2008. And it's important to my mind to make sure to stress that here because the last part this is an eight part series the last part comes out in may of 2009 uh so it's almost a full year for the eight parts to come out and no one will care about that anymore it's something that <laughs> fans like oh my gosh when is this issue coming out oh it's been delayed it's whatever don't worry about it is the thing that i i try to remember it, it, when i get that way it's because in 10 years, when we're pulling this volume off our bookshelves or we're reading it on Marvel Unlimited, you don't care that it was delayed for two weeks here or a month over there or it took a year to come out. The final product, because it had that creative team going full steam and doing what they need to do, it, that is the most important thing. And it really shines through. It's really important and it works so well. I couldn't agree more. I think that's why. I think that's why it stays close to my pod because there's not, there doesn't look to be a corner cut everything like to me looks perfect and, and um and, and like you said nobody at the time when it comes out and i don't remember my life just passed by you know i it, it, i bought i bought the issues at the time and and my life passed by i didn't really notice i didn't really you know complain about it when i but when it was all done and i found and, and it was amazing and but then i got that trade that's the thing i go back to all the time too i loved reading it when it came out i couldn't wait for the next one but you know what hey if i wait it was yeah i remember i remember it was a little bit longer than normal but but it was totally worth it yeah, uh, the even to the point where issue number 73 of the run came out before issue number 72 of Wolverine because of scheduling stuff. Uh, but we're getting into the story a little bit because it, uh, as Josh mentioned, it's uh, 50 years in the future. Wolverine hasn't popped his claws. Uh, the, the villains have won. And I, I think I... You know, we take for granted now, 12 years on, that everybody knows the story who reads comics, but... Got to remember, somebody's going to read this for the first time after hearing this and be like, or hopefully before hearing this, read the, the dang story. <laughs> Spoilers. Sorry, guys. But it's it's so good and so gross and so like well paced. Um, 
you know, we talk about Steve McDiamond's art and it's it's fantastic. It's so tight. But it reminds me of Casada a little bit, like old school Joe, in that it is so tight and so clean and realistic, but also a little cartoony um, where it needs to be in like the, the best possible way. And I love that about Steve's work. Yes. I mean, especially when you get to the uh, the, the Hulk, the inbred Hulk family, you know, it, yeah. It, it's, yeah, I think, yeah, you're right on with that. And that map at the end, that where the the beauty of that is it's, a, it's literally a roadmap of our story ahead. Here's our end point. And then there, for the fans, there's little nuggets across the map where you maybe you don't even hit, but you know, just like it gets your mind churning and waiting, and you can't wait to, to see what's what's up ahead. So I, the opening issues, yeah, it's mind blowing. With a great book, I think you know we read them over and over again. I think this is seventh or eighth time I've read this storyline, you know, front to back, and. I, every time I find something new, I pick up a little detail that I didn't notice before. And in the first issue, I never noticed it before, but there's the panel where Hawkeye pulls up in the spider buggy. And I'd never noticed that the bottom of the panel, Steve uses impact lines to direct your attention and to sort of show like the, like that feeling that Wolverine gets when he sees this. And it's just something I'd never seen before. And I picked up this time and I was like, damn it. So freaking good. <laughs> oh, by the way, blind Hawkeye. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like he shows up blind. Exactly. Like, yeah. If we, it's <laughs> like that too. Just throwing that in. Like he got blind, but he's yeah. still, but but he's still gonna drive. That's the funny part too. Oh man, it's great. <laughs> it's great. We get the idea. We, there's the mystery. There's he hasn't popped his claws in fifty years. Something big happened to him. We don't know exactly what. And there's the flash of violence in that first issue that is so explosive and like visceral and like rah, blood everywhere and it's wild and it's just and it's just the taste of like the dam is gonna break at one point and I can't wait. Yeah, a little foreshadowing to to what we get to see at the end there. So yeah. Um, we get into the second part and certain artists do this wonderful thing where they can freeze time in their art. And I think McNiven does that here, like that idea of like, you're seeing like a snapshot as opposed to sometimes you feel the motion in a page. You just feel like it's frozen. We've got this beautiful shot and like pulling that out and then back into the action. And I, I just love that. And I love the way he does it here. Yeah. I, I think, I see what you're saying about that. Are you talking about when like maybe the arrow goes right through the head on the, the arrow goes through yeah. the heads. There, yeah. That's something that it's yeah. like that, just that perfect moment captured. And there's definitely times I'll do that too, where I think about it. It's not, I'm not trying to show the motion of the thing. I'm just trying to just show it as clearly as it happened. The blood flying and like the little fragments and things like that going in the air are just still, you know, and they're like floating there and, and it's just, it's a, it's a moment captured in time. And then we jump back into the chaos and then you yep. can hear it's like, it's like, there's no noise. And then all of a sudden you get back into the rumble, you know, the rough and tumble. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, we're going to dive back into the book. Uh, the last thing I want to mention in the second part is the introduction of Ashley, who is um, Clint Barton's daughter, Spidey's granddaughter, much less nefarious in Spider-Verse than she was. Uh, <laughs> she turns out to be in this storyline. Um, cool character. Great design, though. I mean, like you look top to bottom throughout the series, just the little design flourishes, the little touches, different things. There's like a dude in a market wearing Sentry's cape at one point, And it's like just like a tiny little thing that could have been a, a really simple just move past shot. But it's not. And it's there. And it's again, it goes to the like the the really intense effort that is put into this book. Well, there's, um, there's tons of hours to fill, man. And to keep some artists entertained, we throw in all the little nuggets we can, <laughs> you know, and especially like this book, cause there's that whole, you know, when they get to the hammer falls and everybody's worshiping like the merchandising, um, aspect of them selling all the old, you know, uh, stuff like Captain America stuff or Thor stuff, you know, where people just, you know, they're like old gods of the past that, you know, we wish they could come save us. And, and that, the, the fact that people are just profiting off of it, too, to sell sold merchandise and old uh, superhero stuff. Yeah. Uh, the third part, issue 68, um, there's a big turn in this issue. Uh, we, we just mentioned Ashley and then like just some wild violence in here, like severed limbs with like like slices still in them. They look like hunks of meat. The best part, the best part and the, <laughs> the part that I like is there's no progression. It's from zero and they turn it up to 11 immediately. Like there's no yeah there's no in between yeah. there's yeah. no just a couple light punches <laughs> she literally chops off kingpin's head with the broadside of a shotgun 
Like that's a powerful swing. Proportionate strength of a Hawkeye. So she's she's doing great. It's so cool because we start a story that feels very much like a Western and then it just becomes, you know, specifically that issue. And then as we continue to explore the world into the next issue after that, it it just keeps evolving into something that is almost like sci-fi in a way. When you get into more of the strange technology that people are using, like the cell that Ashley's in and in, in there is so cool. And I think it speaks to that exact same point of like, it just ramps up so quickly into just like, all right, we're doing this now. And I think that's so, so bold and so cool. You know, it's really interesting. I think the decisions they make, you don't see it on uh, Marvel Limited, but actually in the physical trade paperback, there is some art, some sketches in the back. There's, they show actually the original opening spread, uh, the original pencils of it. But it's different. You can see it's you know Logan on the horse going down to like his little ranch or whatever. But in that original drawing, I think it's the first one they did. Uh, it looked almost more like almost little house on the prairie kind of look. Huh. And you wow. can see it. Yeah, you can see the difference. So uh, it, it's perfect. I don't think they had you know they hadn't fine tuned that yet. And it's just they stopped they stopped it right there and said no, we want to go with a little more of that deserty you know. Things don't look as nice and, and cozy for for them there. And so yeah, that, that yeah. carries on through the rest of the book. And then you get into like the cities and, and, and stuff. So I just made me think of that yeah. there. Yeah. Um, the story moves. It moves so friggin' quickly. It just goes, 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 which is so cool. Uh, the world building uh, and like the Unforgiven vibes at the end. I literally wrote Clint Eastwood on my, uh, on my <laughs> DM. When it, it, yeah, that's what I thought of too. All right, we get into part five, which is Wolverine number 70. Um, and we finally, in this part, get to see uh, the flashback of what happened to Logan. And uh, the best part was, I've read the story, as I mentioned, seven, eight times, whatever it was. And I know exactly what happened. And I know the trick. And I was like, oh, man, I forgot Strife and Doc Ock and Claude, and Mr. Hyde and Shocker show up first. And they got to him. And then everything happened. I'm like... No, you ding dong. It was all Mysterio. So good. Yeah. And from our standpoint, I have to say this, I really like seeing the way McDivitt draws um, Wolverine in his costume. I love, I I Mm. love the design of the old man Logan, but then I love seeing the way McDivitt draws him in in that uniform too. When I started drawing Wolverine just for myself, I never drew him in costume. I literally probably drawn him in costume four or five times ever until I started drawing X-Force. And you can kind of tell I've, kind of evolved the way I've drawn him. I've, I wasn't very comfortable in the way I drew him um, to start. And now I'm feeling a lot more you know, I'm pointing about where I want him to look in his uh, his costume. So you definitely, if you look at issue one through now issue nine or something, you'll definitely see the way I draw him is definitely different. The, uh, the really interesting thing that you guys both mentioned earlier in terms of the pacing and the rhythm and how quickly this story moves is, you know, for the first 20 of 23 pages, we're getting this flashback story. And then, boom, the second we snap out of it and back into the present day storyline with Hawkeye and, and Logan, you, you have kind of two pages to reacclimatize, and then you have symbiote T-Rex, you know, chasing <laughs> them down. You know, it, it is relentless. Well, that's just something that it just now kicks the story back forward and, you know, and we get going. That to me, that's the visual at the time it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. It still might be the coolest thing I'd ever seen. But Venom T-Rex is, is my is my jam. Yeah. It's that thing of like, you know, when the world building is so rich, you know, whether it's Hammer Falls, whether it's what happened with Kingpin and Magneto, whether it's, you know, what's going on with Emma Frost, all of this stuff, it demands to be explored more. It demands to, you know, be taken to its, you know, natural conclusion. I think T-Rex is like the greatest example of that. Sure. I mean, what is it? You have like dinosaurs that were imported or smuggled in from uh, the, the yeah. Savage Lands, you know, just like they, <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. you know, they, they, they see that there. You see the symbiote, like an issue or two before, just kind of up in the hills, right? He's just yeah. kind of so looking cool. down on them. So they, you know, they get, they foreshadow that there. And all of a sudden, there you go. And now you, you give it another reason to keep running and keep going. Uh, the last bit I, I want to get to is uh, in, in 71, which is part six, is at the end, like, Hawkeye, you idiot. And I wrote in my notes, why would you believe the Hitler looking dude? And then I remembered Hawkeye can't see, so he can't see that his contact looks like Hitler. Then it all makes sense to me. I, I didn't even think of it that way. I I just assumed it is that in this kind of world, you're going to have to do some shady backhand dealings just to survive. And I didn't think of it as he was blind and didn't even notice like, dude, yeah, this guy literally wants to look like Hitler. And so you probably don't yeah. want to trust this guy. 
Uh, but but shock right there. You know what is it? Wolverine gets shot up, and then uh, Hawkeye dies. Yeah. Mm. What a great what a great drawing that is too. As we push on then into the final issue, uh, for me this the the Red Skull issue as we get into the final part of this story, it is so cool and it, and it just feels like. All right, in this final issue, we need to isolate Logan, so Hawkeye needs to die. So Logan needs to go into this final thing on his own. And then when he finally gets to New Babylon, it explodes into this thing that you you realize it's so much more than Wolverine's journey. And, you, you know, the fact that he's dealing with Red Skull and the position that Skull is in, all of this stuff, it really just so beautifully, like, you know, you know wraps everything up and just presents it there for you to hold in your hand of the weight of of everything that is going on now and that, you know, especially now that we've been reading has been going on the whole time. It's so cool. Well, that's exactly right. Literally, I mean, this, this book starts out as just Logan needs to pay his rent. Right. You know? right. <laughs> it, start, it literally starts as he needs to pay his rent and it yeah. ventures off into now we explore like what we'll get to at the end is he needs to go and conquer this villain United States of America, and now we see what has happened to everybody. Like I have a I have a big soft spot for Ben Grimm, but to see the thing's hand in there and his trophy case, <laughs> as messed up as it is, that drawing is awesome. Like the, the trophy case <laughs> is so messed up and so rad, um, and it really just goes to the evil and how much they really have triumphed over. It. You're seeing all your great, the greatest heroes have all fallen, you know, and it's pretty much it's literally Logan. He's the last one standing. I'm a huge fan of those types of terrifying, upsetting trophy cases, like in uh, <laughs> Hulk Future Imperfect, where George Perez draws that, that incredible room with all of the last relics of all the heroes. What I One of the really fun details that I love about this is, you know, we get into the story and, and Red Skull and, and Wolverine like comes out and he like, he's starting to like turn. And then you get Wolverine with Cap Shield and Red Skull with Black Knight's sword. And the, the shot, not only is it cool as hell, but it's also a great homage to Mike Zeck's Captain America annual number eight cover, which as a kid, I remember looking at that cover where you've got Wolverine versus Captain America. I freaking love this image so much. It, it's it's so rad and like it feels like, all right, like you hear the music turning up in this issue and things are changing. Yeah. There's some sweet justice of using Cap's shield as a thing that chops off uh, Red Skull's head. Not Wolverine, his claws or anything like that, you know, we, but it's Cap's shield that topples uh, Red Skull. And then in this penultimate chapter here, it hits the note that we've all been waiting for it to hit. And it, I just love when we finally get to the moment where, okay, Wolverine takes, takes care of stuff in New Babylon. He, you know, puts on the Iron Man suit. He heads back home. And his family's been killed just because, like, the kind of Hulk clan got bored, yeah, which is crazy. crazy. That little and it's that they that yeah. they were bored. That was the reason, you know. And it's like it's so yeah. it's not even that he was late or anything like that. It's just they're so messed up. They're so they have, yeah. They have it's troops. it's yeah. it's interesting reading this story because I think you anticipate that moment coming. But it's like, you're like, uh, like this is epic and awesome. And there's a full page spread of just the word snicked two when pages, it finally happens. Two page spread. Two, two pages, it's, yeah. It's, it's the greatest decision. I think that, that makes yep. so I, cool. I, I think I, Miller, he, I think he had that. He already had that idea before he even started this book. I think that was probably how he did it. I'm going to do this whole story where Wolverine doesn't even use his claws. We're going to have a two yeah. page spread that the letter I hope got extra, extra money for. It's not a hell yeah. I'm so excited. It's a this is the only thing that can happen it's a raw emotion i'm upset and pissed off for him he he went through mm -hmm. all that you're right he, he gets he goes back to cali and this is the final mm -hmm. thing the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back and and that it's such a great payoff and such a great decision instead of using the two-page spread and saying maybe the the graphics behind him to say snick to actually just have it say snick for two pages um was brilliant and but the following drawing is perfect and it's the aftermath yeah, yeah. of that and the blood's just trickling down his hands and his arms and it's a gorgeous gorgeous drawing yeah it's perfect yeah. yeah i have to correct myself from earlier because issue 72 of wolverine comes out in may of 2009 the final part of the story which is in wolverine old man logan giant size number one actually comes out in september of 2009 so again this took more than a year but man is it so worth it because this last part this is the big one this is ferocious near silent for most of the time 
just your your hero is broken and battered and is just full berserker rage and it is so damn good and, and like you said it's earned oh it's it's so earned and then now we see old man banner you know at this whole time because you have these hulks the descendants of hulks they don't really talk about him as still being alive necessarily we just know mm-hmm. that. and all of a sudden we see it he's just this little gangly super wrinkly dude that i love the way again <laughs> mcnivin draws it and then wolverine puts his claws in him and you think okay but then no all you did was just piss off uh, old old man banner yeah, yeah. And then Logan rips apart a cow with his hands, which is so With awesome. his claws, with his okay, claws. Okay. The, one of my favorite things is when Wolverine, when you see his hands open and the claws are there, it's forever. One of like my favorite ways to see Logan is like, this is cool, but this feels like there's just some emotion going on. And when you see him like this, it's it's rad. Yeah, well, they, I mean, yeah, he throws a cow. I like that. You're just going to use whatever tools you have at hand. So I'm going to throw a cow at somebody. <laughs> I like that. It's a nice little touch. There, there is something interesting, Ryan. You mentioned that's going on here that I'd love to get your thoughts on, Josh. Do you approach when you're doing a sequence or maybe an issue that you know isn't necessarily going to have a ton of dialogue in it? Do you approach that differently? Do you lean into characters' expressions a little more? Do you play it just totally straight? Um, is there another element that you ever have found? I don't know if you've, you've been in that situation that, that you have or would bring to the table differently. Well, for sure. A lot of times it's in the script, right? There's a, there's going to be a description that I'm going to have to draw, but there's no, there's no dialogue to tell you that, you know, it's, you know, Ben will write something of, of, you know, like he, he actually knows the secret plot, but he's trying to act like he doesn't, or he's ignorant to this. And so I'm going to have to find a way to convey that kind of why i don't necessarily like getting half scripts or not knowing where everything is going because i do like to know the characters and where they're going to go because if you can kind of foreshadow that but a lot of times it is it's in the panel description that the the, the reader will never see i, I want to wrap it up we, of course not going to spoil those last little bits but uh we talked about the unforgiven connection that uh we've seen through this issue Spe- like if you look at the way logan is dressed before all hell breaks loose or even after um and you look at clint eastwood in certain scenes and unforgiven it's like one-to-one it's so cool talking about clint eastwood talking about these westerns something like that because you see in these final pages you see logan riding off into the sunset the metaphor i guess within wolverine himself is the healing factor and how he takes all these hits and he has no choice but to keep living you just know that logan is going on to whatever his next adventure is whatever his next journey is especially with his baby now and he has all of this baggage he has all of this behind him and so it's so cool to be shot off into the sunset into the the landscape as we are at the end there but from a character standpoint it's so complicated and it's so not a happy ending but you know that there's more to come in that same way. It's so cool. Well, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. As opposed to, you know, the usual riding off into the sunset and not saying happily, it's not happily ever after. It's literally, it's just the next chapter of it's now it's made the turn and now he's going to go and take everything back, you know? And I just have to say, We've been like, going to- McNiven's handwork in this is just incredible. Just, and then, then the Hulk's hands and those fingernails and they've got just those grooves in them and the chips, but just, the knuckles of, of you know whether it's Logan or, or Hulk's hands just that's something I noticed that's something I was obsessed about and yeah no it's a thing I like again mentioning Joe Casada it's a thing I I think about with Joe's work and like amazing work with hands and there's certain character or like you know Kirby you always know a, a Kirby like reach or a fist like there's something powerful um man comics are great you guys <laughs> i know <laughs> yeah that's it to, to, to sum up everything comics are awesome yeah <laughs> yeah i think uh i think we covered it that was awesome i'm so glad we got to read it and i'm so glad to get the insight that you had for this josh um like just your perspective on it and uh your passion for it was was awesome man yeah thank you so much josh thank you guys so much man. it was really great i uh i appreciate it thank you so much man joshua kasara not just one of the most exciting artists in Marvel Comics right now, but a great dude. So much fun to talk to, so easy to talk to. Love hearing all of this stuff about all these different things. What a guy. He is a great guy indeed. And I am joined here at the end of the show by Ms. 
Catherine Grace, who uh, she says hi, and she wants to help me <laughs> give the credits because the episode is over. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by me, as well as Tucker, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, and Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is of Marvel's Pull List audio development manager. He was so close to being one of Marvel's new Stormbreakers, but then <sighs> everybody remembered he's not an artist, and yeah. he's just a pretty great audio development manager, but <laughs> he's not breaking any stones. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. You want to say anything else? Moda. 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 Yeah, Moda. Yeah, yeah.